We're coming off a short week. Are you familiar with that term? Not quite. In what context? As a, it's a football term. Uh, I'm aware of bye weeks. Yeah, so well, bye weeks are when the team is completely off for the week. But a, a short week is when a team will play on Sunday, and then that upcoming week they might have like the Thursday night game. Or maybe they'll play Sunday and then... Or I'm sorry, they'll play Monday, and then they'll play the following Sunday. So a, a shorter than regular week to prepare. And when a, when a team plays a short week, are they generally uh, more poised to win statistically because no. they're fired up and ready to go? No, the, the opposite. They're tired and, and beaten down and less prepared. Oh, so statistically, this should be a pretty uh, uh, a snoozer. That, yes, that's what I'm, I'm trying to set up the listeners. I'm trying to you know set their expectations. Coming Dial- off a short week. Dialing it down. Yes. Yeah, so we, we normally record on uh, Wednesdays, uh, as you know, Carlos, but uh, this is a, this is not Wednesday. This is Monday. It is. It's Monday. What is today? Today is the November... 24th, right? Uh, it's almost Christmas, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, uh, no, not, not quite Christmas Eve. In, in so one, hold on. In one month. Okay, let, let's, let's follow up on that. So <laughs> yeah, how... Okay. I have exactly five more weeks of having to listen to Mariah Carey and Michael Bublé holiday CDs everywhere I go mm. with no control over my surroundings, apparently. I, it, it boggles my mind how you can dislike either of them Here's the for, thing. for the holidays. I enjoy Mariah Carey, uh, like 1992 to 2005, not the new stuff. But Michael Bublé, as we talked about this weekend, uh, is perhaps the blandest musical artist of all time i could not i could not disagree more i I, i'm how i i believe you can like the person you can enjoy their bland music but i don't (laughs) think you can really um i don't think you can refute the blandness claim i I think you can i think he's extremely talented didn't didn't say that wasn't the case i i kind of disagree well i mean he's not my cup of tea but i He's very talented at being bland. <laughs> I don't... How can you think his Christmas album is bland? It's fantastic. That Jingle Bells version he does? Not not bland. Agree to disagree. Okay. So uh, you're not you're not you're not real big into the uh, the holiday music in general. Not particularly, no. I don't know. It just it just it grates on you because the thing is, there's no escaping it. If holiday music is not one of those things where you can voluntarily decide to listen to an album. It just means in every advertisement on every TV show, everywhere in the world that you walk, you hear this uh, just cacophony of nonsense. So, do you think? Do you think this goes back to you know you and I both in our high school and college days were, um, you know retail retail folks on the floor as you would say do you think that sort of soured your opinion towards the whole holiday hustle and bustle i don't think so it's just i don't know there's that whole christmas creep thing that's always bothered me like christmas Christmas creep are you you never heard that term no oh it's the like kind of it's i think it was coined in the early 90s where in retail and kind of like on like just in stores and on television you'll see that christmas and the holiday season has been coming earlier and earlier like you're you're a, you're a member of uh, the costco organization right uh, i am so costco now i think I, I like i canceled my membership but i think as of a year ago they started selling things 
related to the holidays beginning in September. Like, have that you been in the store recently? And uh, no, not lately. It's just it. Thanksgiving isn't even over yet. Yet you're already hearing about Christmas sales and Christmas music everywhere. It's Christmas creep, just like feature creep in software. <laughs> there, yeah, there was a year, I guess, a couple of years ago, where I noticed there were artificial Christmas trees available for sale at Home Depot in like the middle of September. Exactly. Well, this is kind of a weird year, though, because Thanksgiving is almost as late as it could possibly be. It's going to be on like the 26th or the 27th or something. 27th, right. So there's sometimes there are five weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas, but this year there are only four. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that uh, kind of makes things difficult for the retailers. They got to basically try to squeeze five weeks of sales into four, and I think one of the ways they can do that's by as as you say, you know, creep that data up a little bit. And I, I have I had definitely have noticed quite a few like commercials and things, more so than usual prior to Thanksgiving. Yeah. It's disappointing. I'm I'm just a Grinch and, and that's fine. Well I mean it's kind of your thing. What is that supposed to mean? It, it just, you know, it just it is what it is. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I mean, actually, some people like The Grinch. It's it's a good movie. No, I just... <sighs> you don't have a dog. You need a dog. Oh, hold on. Sorry. You can, you can start talking about something else, but I got something to send in the Slack. Um, oh, I guess, yeah. I mean, again, short week. Um, I only have a really a couple of a uh, couple of topics. One of which is is more just kind of what I've what I've been up to with my with my tech. Um, I guess as you, as you would say. Go for it. Um, so I, this past weekend, uh, well, I'll, I'll give some background. So my, I can't remember if I actually mentioned this on the show or not, but my, my Kindle Voyage was busted. You mentioned it had some issues where you weren't able to like change the page or like it would restart every single time you put it to sleep. Yeah. So anytime you would put it to sleep, when you went to turn it back on, you would receive a, it was like program non-responsive error or something like that. Anytime you would try to do anything other than turn the page in your current book. So you could go forward and back in the book you were reading, assuming that you put it to sleep while in a book. But if you were, (laughs) if you were on the home screen, when you put it to sleep, you would get that error, no matter what button you pressed, even just trying to get to like the settings menu. Um, And then if you were in a book, if you try to go to the home screen, same error, like just really just completely broken. Uh, and then the only way to, to resolve it, at least temporarily, was to hold down the power button and basically hard reset it. And then they came out with a, a software update uh, about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. And I thought, oh, well, you know, maybe this will fix it. And it, for a couple of days, it seemed like it did. But then instead of giving me that error, it just literally started freezing whenever I tried to do anything. So I kind of gave up on it and just returned it because there was like a four-week delay in getting a new one. I was I was going to just going to happily exchange it, but I think the earliest they were shipping out was sometime around like the middle of December. So I, I kind of got to thinking like, all right, like what do I want to do? I want to even like bother replacing the Kindle. Do I want to just start reading like on my iPad? So that's what I just started trying to do was on my iPad Air, I just started you know using the Kindle app on there. And 
it, it, it reading books as like just novels on the on a full size iPad just not not really a great experience. It's just it's just kind of too big. It's like almost like reading a book in a magazine form, and the iPad Air is not particularly comfortable to hold for longer periods of time. But I did really actually enjoy reading off of the iPad screen a lot more than I thought I would. You know, the the advantage with having a Kindle is the fact that you're not, you know, looking at an LCD screen, but I found that really not being all that bothersome, especially when you consider how high resolution the iPad screens are now. Um, you know, even the Kindle Voyage is a relatively, you know, lower resolution screen than something like the iPad. But, you know, the, the iPad Air just really wasn't ideal for that. And, you know, I've, I kind of just have noticed in general, like, the iPad Air is just not, it's just not really a, a great form factor for anything except watching video. And I so seldom do that on the iPad. It's, it's really just when I'm flying. For everything else, it's just, it's kind of just a little too big. So I kind of got the idea in my head, like, well, what if I don't replace the Kindle? So I just return that. I sell my iPad Air. And then I also sell my Nexus 7, which I just, um, as a tangent, I just never used that, and get an iPad mini to kind of replace all three of those devices. And that's exactly what I did this last weekend. And do you have it in your possession yet? I do. So how does it stack up in your particular use case? I know you haven't had a lot of time to think about it, but as e-reader and slightly smaller tablet, do you think you made the right decision? I do. It is early. I I just picked this up uh, yesterday, um, but I I brought it with me to work today because I you know used it on the bus um, and then I used it some yesterday and I'm it'll be a good test too because I'm getting ready to fly home for the holidays tomorrow. That's hence the reason we're doing this on a Monday evening, so I get to you know put it through its paces as you say during the trip. But so far I'm really impressed. I the I mean ev- everybody says this, but the form factor of the mini is just absolutely perfect it feels it feels a lot better than the i think the full-size ipad um i think the screen the on at least on the you know the retina ipad minis is actually a little bit higher resolution than even the ipad air in terms of like uh what ppi um it it screen just looks phenomenal um so it, it does give a fantastic first impression and i find reading on it to be really really nice so why did you go for the iPad Mini three as opposed yeah. to the two? Since yeah, so that's to my um, understanding. It's exactly the same, except it comes in gold, and I'm sure you got gold. Um, no. And it has a Touch ID sensor. So that that is exactly the right question to ask. Um, and it it's a it's so it's a weird decision between the iPad Mini two and the iPad Mini three. Um, so I, I I was I was looking into this and. You know, I, I figured with the iPad Mini 3, it would have at least gotten, you know, some of the kind of newer features that the iPad Air 2 got. I know the processor wasn't updated, but I thought that, you know, maybe it would have gotten the, you know, sub, the, the anti-glare coating on the screen. And it uh, doesn't. The, the new, I don't know if it's like lamination, I don't know what the right phrase is, but sort of that new newer screen technology that we see in the iPad Air 2 and the iPhone 6 where the pixels are a little closer to the glass. Mm-hmm. No, you don't You don't get any of that. Not at all, no. You literally, you literally get the iPad Mini 2 with a different color option, which I did not choose to get, and Touch ID. 
and and if I'm excuse me if I'm wrong, but like I think Touch ID is is dramatically less important on a tablet. It is. You're you're, you're totally for right. Password. But you also I don't know I don't think I would use that much on a pass on an uh, on a tablet anyway. You're right. Um, and so that's you know I I laid out all those options and I did still elect to spend the extra hundred dollars and get the iPad Mini three. And it, to be perfectly honest, it, it was Touch ID. Uh, I mean, well, it had to be because that it's the only thing. Um, but I, I, I definitely did notice when using my iPad Air, not having Touch ID going back and forth between it and my iPhone six was not great. And it, I think really for one password alone, having Touch ID really is worth it, especially if I do end up using the iPad mini more than I do my iPad Air, which, you know, since it's, it's particularly since it's replacing my Kindle, which I use a fair bit, I, I expect to be using it a lot more. And I expect to be bringing it with me more places. So like, you know, one of the things with my iPad Air is that outside of, you know, the occasional trip, it would always be in my apartment. Because if, you know, if I just wanted to read, I would just bring my Kindle with me. And so having even just a passcode on the iPad Air didn't really make a lot of sense because it just never really left my apartment. But with the iPad Mini, I think it is going to be coming with me more frequently and having, you know, just a regular passcode is kind of a, a hassle. So it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a, you know, unnecessary part of the purchase, but you know, I decided to to spring for it. Well, good work. The yeah, iPad so, Mini every every couple of weeks always kind of just pops into my brain, and I always talk myself out of it. But I'm glad you went for it. Yeah, I, again, I think it it just makes it just such a wonderful first impression. Um, it just the way it feels, it it just it feels so much nicer than the regu- the iPad Air. Like it, it's actually funny. Like even just after 30 minutes with the Mini, like you go to pick up an iPad Air and you go, oh geez, this thing's a behemoth. Um. So uh, we'll see. Uh, I th- the, the part I'm really curious about is the reading part. But again, so far from the little bit I've done, I, I've, I've really liked it. And I'm pretty sure my, I already know the answer to this, uh, but uh, Wi-Fi only or Wi-Fi plus cellular? Yeah, wi- wi- just, just Wi-Fi um, because, you know, particularly now that they've got the uh, instant hotspot feature with, the, with iOS 8 and I always, you know, have, I have my iPhone with me, I just tether that. Although yeah, I was disappointed because I went to use that for the first time this morning and had some trouble getting the iPad to connect to my phone. I'm hoping that was just sort of the initial setup and that now that it's been paired once, it will, you know, kind of seamlessly pair. But I always had trouble with the personal hotspot feature pre-iOS 8, so we'll, we'll see. Hmm. But I mean, that's you know that, that starts to get really tricky when... You're you're talking an extra hundred dollars for the mini three, and then another hundred and twenty nine dollars for the cellular option, plus then the additional what ten to fifteen dollars a month on my bill. That that starts to get a little little tricky. You'd have to scale back the number of Ubers. <laughs> I I would have I would have probably the the real option would have been to get like an iPad Mini two with cellular, basically do do the cellular connectivity instead of doing Touch ID. But I think for me, Touch ID is is more useful understandable it you know it is like it is a really is a really weird choice between the mini 2 and the mini 3 and i'm just sort of an idiot and went for the mini 3 
Um, but I, I, I do think the the smarter the smarter decisions to get the mini two. The mini two is actually a it's a pretty decent deal now. So, mini two, to my understanding, used to come in sixteen, thirty two, and sixty four gigs. Now that Apple has their new um, storage tier breakdowns at 16, 64, and 128, what does that do with the storage capacities on the Mini 2? Like, is the 32 still hanging around, or did they standardize? I think it's, I think it's the same, although I have to say that I'm, I'm looking this up as I speak. I think that's another thing that sort of frustrated me is I, like, I, I really, really wish the low-end iPad Mini 3 were 32 gigabytes. Like, I gladly would have made do with a 32 gigabyte iPad. Like I, I didn't really need a 64 gigabyte iPad, but, but of course I couldn't get the 16. So it's kind of like, well, I mean, maybe that's the exact use case as to why Apple wants to do this weird breakout that they have. So this is this is weirder than I thought. So a, a 16 gigabyte Mini 3 is $400, whereas the Mini 2 is $299. But if you want the Mini 2 with 32 gigs, because there is no 64 gig option, that's 350, whereas the 64 is 499. But nobody really needs more than 32 on a tablet. So I, I actually, so I actually paid, I paid 150 dollars more for Touch ID, really. Because <laughs> yeah, you're not really going to have your whole music library on on this, or you're you're it's a streaming device primarily, so ebooks don't take up that much space. This won't have as many podcasts as your phone. So yeah, storage is, is far less important on a tablet than it is on a phone. Yeah, given given that I would have been okay with 32 gigabytes and the iPad Mini 2 with 32 gigabytes, Wi-Fi only is 349. And the iPad Mini 3 Wi-Fi only with 64 gigabytes is 499. I effectively paid $150 for 32 gigabytes of storage I don't need and Touch ID. Good, good for me. Stupendous. That seems like a that seems like a real uh, smart finances. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Be happy with what you got. You got a new. Oh, no, I I I'm actually um I actually really do I really really like having Touch ID. Um, it's um it just again for as much as I use one password, like I it's kind of amazing how much I use one password if you think about it. Um, and having having that Touch ID instant in into one password really is is awesome. And they've smoothed that out. They've smoothed that over a lot in software updates. Like when it first came out, it wasn't. It's pretty good, but it would like very frequently ask you for the master password just because right. I guess it got confused. And now that happens almost rarely. Yeah, they they put out an update where they specifically addressed that issue. And since that update, I don't think I've ever had it happen. Yeah, like unless I restart my phone or I have to force quit it for some weird reason, which is is very uncommon. Yeah, it just works works perfectly. We know what I'll also I'll say about the this is just to you know further rationalize my purchase. Um, I the, the storage thing's been surprising me because I, I was very quick to just be like oh I'll just get a, a sixty four gigabyte iPhone when the iPhone six came out, and I, I kind of wish I had gotten the hundred and twenty eight because after I re-downloaded my audio library which now comes in a, a higher bit rate from a recent update so that takes a little bit more space. And I continue to take just tons and tons of pictures with my iPhone. So I'm, I'm already kind of, I think I'm down to maybe less than 10 gigabytes free on my iPhone 6. So, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe over the next year I'll find that I actually do end up using the 64 gigabytes on my iPad. I, I doubt it, but 
but we'll see. Interesting. It's it's weird. It, it's a really really weird product lineup. And I, I I would I would definitely say that for ninety nine percent of people that thirty two gigabyte iPad Mini two for three forty nine that's that's pretty solid. It certainly is. So you're you're pretty much you're getting everything. You're getting a Retina screen, Lightning connection. You know, really the the whole the whole thing. Let's move on. Well, you know, I'll just you know real real brief. You know what else I did when I was in the uh, the Apple store yesterday. Mm-hmm. We we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the show. I I had been kind of putting off looking at the uh, Retina iMac, just as to kind of not even you know not even be tempted, just kind of put it in the put it in the background. But I you know I was in the Apple Store. I'm like, well you know I may as well check this out. It's it's pretty it's pretty wonderful, as you would expect. Mm-hmm. But but too expensive. Well, not really, but just too expensive oh, for you. Like too in, expensive in, for me. Not not because too you expensive would for what it, it is. Yeah. All right, let's let's move off the iPad topic because then I'm gonna, yeah, you're gonna say something negative. No, no, I, I just like I I keep coming back to the idea of entertaining whether I want a tablet again or not, and I oh, and I cooler heads always prevail. But you're you're talking it up. So you're you're afraid that uh, I'm you're afraid that I'm gonna pull a um a Power Beats two trick on you. No, no, but again, that was a great recommendation, and I still love those things. They're, they're aren't, aren't they fantastic? Yeah, it's 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 better. I think it's better than because the all the reviews I had read had pointed to battery life being sort of one of the drawbacks, and I that's not been what I've noticed. I get a solid four runs out of them, right? And that's and that's not because they say they're low; it's just because I assume it's low. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, sponsor break. Uh sure. All right, tell me about something you like. Yeah, well, we'll uh, we'll we'll cut it. We'll cut that in in post. One day we should do a, a fake uh, a fake sponsor read. <laughs> I've actually I've actually thought about that. Uh, actually, explain. Do you do you listen to the serial show? Please, uh, you know what? Please don't. I, I so out of nowhere. I I had I had not heard of this show until four or five days ago, and and hmm. I'm I'm not kidding. Yeah, I know. I'm, I guess I'm kind of slow. But I, I'm not kidding. I think within the last couple of days, I've had no less than like four different people recommend that to me. So I am not recommending it to you. Interesting. You're, I, the, I, you're the first. I, I disagree with the concept of it. it, it I, I I very much like This American Life and podcasts in general and um, and public radio. I just disagree with the concept. But also in saying that, I will fully admit that I have never listened to a second of it. I have just read about it from people I trust, from the premise of the program, and it does not seem like something I think uh, is fair or or should be kind of serialized in that nature, because it's not fiction. But anyway, I yeah I don't I don't guess I don't really have an opinion one way or the other on that. I'm just already so backlogged with podcasts that the idea of trying to listen to another one is just not not possible right now. Yeah. Well, what else are you listening to these days? That's the thing. Not not a ton. Um, I listen to the BS Report. Is by, he back? By Grantland. <laughs> he, he's back. Is he yes. off suspension? He is, but he did he ever come... did he ever talk about it? Yes, in, in the in the way that you would expect, very um, under the radar, kind of like backhanded, you know, comments. Mm-hmm. Um, subtle comments, as you would say. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but he's he's not let up. He still he'll say things now every once in a while where you're still like, Ooh, easy. Well, about what? Um. Well, so the 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 you know the couple couple hot topics have continued to be you know the NFL stuff, um, and then one of the one of the radio hosts on ESPN took a shot at him for something unrelated, and he just went off on this tangent on Twitter, where he said some pretty mean things. Uh, anyway, that that's this is not what the people tune in for. Uh, but so I've been listening to that. Um, I've been listening to uh, the Giant Bombcast, which I've talked about. It's the video game podcast I listen to. Uh, those episodes are pretty long. That's like those are like three to three and a half hours every week. So that takes up a fair bit of time. And then the BS reports usually a couple of hours every week. Um, back to work, I still listen to. Um, that's that's kind of about it on a regular basis. So, you know, I'll pop in depending on the topic. I'll listen to episodes of like Fresh Air or This American Life, Planet Money, but it kind of depends on the topic. I don't listen to every episode. Did you ever listen to um, Alex Bloomberg's uh, startup podcast? I have I have all of them saved and downloaded, but um, <laughs> well, no, they they should be honored because outside. <laughs> Outside of, well, I don't mean it that way. They should be honored. I take, I take up their bandwidth. Yeah, oh yeah, I said that in a really pretentious way. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, no, they they are the only podcast episodes downloaded, saved, ready to go outside of the my regular you know rotation of shows, which I just talked about. So, pretty elite company. Very nice. More that was more of a um, uh, more of a um description of the quality of the shows i listen to less less so a description about me all right what else we got um so the only other topic i had from this week which is more of just a a general topic not specifically news related although it it does tie into a couple of things that have happened recently um and that this is an article from engadget whose uh, headline is why are so many video games broken at launch so even even though you're not you know a, a video game player or a, you know a, a gamer as you say, well no I th- I think I've cited this as the reason why I don't really enjoy modern video games is that they all have four hour download patches because you can change the code in them now. Yeah, so 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 the the topic here, which I I do think you don't really have to play games to to appreciate, but it, there's been a, a trend, and this has been going on for quite a while now i would say particularly since the the previous generation of consoles with the xbox 360 and the playstation 3 which for most you know folks were constantly connected boxes meaning that you know they were constantly connected to the internet and you know once that sort of became the standard one of the things that people started noticing is that when games would first come out you'd be facing a huge sometimes you know tens of gigabytes worth of patches on on day one and you know sometimes these patches were really just to even just get the game basically to work in in a reasonable fashion Um, but what's happened even kind of more negatively recently is even with all these last minute patches that you have to download day one before you play the game games are still broken and and the the two the two most recent examples of this have been assassin's creed unity which is the most recent assassin's creed game for the xbox one and playstation 4 and for the pc too 
and for the Xbox One, the Halo Master Chief Collection, which is a compilation of Halo 1 through 4. And in both of these cases, even though both games had very large day one patches, there are still large portions of these games which are either completely unplayable or just broken in some fashion. And it's it's just it's sort of a just a really negative trend because you know games have gotten more expensive, they take more of your time, and it's it's just it's just not great that there's almost now this expectation that when you buy a game, you're going to have to download this huge patch, and that patch probably still isn't even going to address all the issues that you have. So what 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 actually I <laughs> What do the game developers have to say about this? Because I assume that's an audience that holds them accountable is going to be the wrong term, but would be would be noisy and 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 bothersome about this kind of thing. It's a conversation that I has kind of bubbled beneath the surface for uh, over these last few years. But I, I think now with the the couple of examples that I just mentioned with Assassin's Creed and Halo. It's starting to get a little bit more attention, you know, as evidenced by articles like the one that kind of sparked me wanting to talk about this. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if this continues as a trend, if this is something that people really do start to pay attention to. Um, and I, I, th- I just I think what's just most disappointing about it is that, you know, prior to the last generation of consoles, like if you go back to like the original Xbox and then the PlayStation 2, you know, those boxes, while connected to the internet for a lot of people, you couldn't really assume they would be connected to the internet. And even if they were connected, you couldn't assume that everybody had a really great broadband connection. And so it wasn't even a reasonable position to assume that your install base on day one could just go out and download a five gigabyte patch to fix everything that you didn't have a chance to get on the disk. And then going back even further than that, you know, PlayStation 1 days, let's say, there really was no internet connectivity with with consoles. So the game that you shipped on the disc was the final product. And if there was something wrong with it, outside of a full-on recall, there really wasn't much you could do about it. So I feel like there was, you know, a much greater incentive to ensure that you shipped a game that was in perfect working order, or at least as close to perfect working order as possible, and now, since you know people can just go out and download a big patch on day one, just feel like developers aren't really being held to the same standard that they used to be. And does any of this ever come up in the review cycle? Oh, it definitely does. Yeah. Well, I mean, so what what type of rating consensus did that new Halo compilation get? Like, is this something that's commonly cited by those big game reviews it, it is virtually every single halo review mentioned so in the case of halo it was all the online matchmaking stuff so that the single player campaigns worked fine but it was anytime you wanted to play a game online which is a huge part of halo the matchmaking system to you know match you with other players was basically just broken for the first week and it still really isn't working great so did did the game get like a five in most reviews uh, no, the game actually did still get relatively s- decent scores, but... See, this... like, that's the part I don't get, because if a game is, if, for a lot of people, since they've already probably played 75% of, or I mean, most of the games, because they've already been released, 
multiplayer is a huge segment of it, so doesn't that mean it's essentially broken and it should get a horrible score? Would that pressure of negative reviews that, like a lot of people make their buying decisions based on that, would that not push them to be more accountable to make better games and not just rely on t- uh, like months worth of, uh, worth of updates? Yes, I, th- I think that's a great point. I think we need to fight for ethics in game journalism. I don't. Well, I I don't know if I don't know if I would take the ethics route with that. It was I, it was I, it was a joke about the GamerGate thing. Oh, okay, okay. Um, it just it just more of it's maybe you know maybe the fact that games scores aren't as dinged as they are for things like this is sort of just a reflection of how this has just become sort of an accepted reality. Which is not, I mean, that's not to say that's okay, but it's just sort of further evidence that that is in fact the case. But I think, you know, one of the positive things that game reviewers do uh, follow is they very seldom will go back and like re-review a game. So like if some if something were broken on day one and then let's say a month later, you know, was fixed through a patch, you almost never see reviewers go back kind of incorporate that new patch into the review and then you know a bump up the score given that this issue was fixed usually if there's a big issue at launch and it that affects the game's you know performance or ability to play even if that gets fixed later on you know reviews are not updated to reflect that which i which i think is the right thing to do I'm glad people are taking notice of this because it, it speaks to my concern about gaming, which is it's become, become too complicated and it's it's not as fun when you just can't – like back in the old days where the disc you got, you could play it eight years later and it was the exact same game. Not Not with added content that's downloadable all the time, not with patches that you have to wait before you can actually play it. Because doesn't the Xbox, like, even if, if you want to play immediately, you can, but you can't play multiplayer because, like, that might give you an unfair advantage or something like that? No, so, like, the way that, so, you know, Halo is, is the example everybody talks about because the day one patch was 20 gigabytes, which is just crazy. But the way they did it was, was actually pretty smart. So you could play all of the single-player campaigns almost instantly. Um, one of the things that the Xbox One and PlayStation 4 both do, despite requiring installations is they actually do allow you to start playing the game before the installation is fully complete so you know it, it smartly installs the files that are most critical up front and then installs you know files that maybe aren't used until later in the game later so you don't have to wait for the game to fully install until you start playing and then halo on top of that with this patch it was all multiplayer stuff so you could you know, basically start the campaigns almost right away, and then you just had to wait for the patch to install until you played uh, multiplayer. So, you know, it, to, to Microsoft and Sony's credit, they've made game installs and large patches kind of as painless as they could be. But you're totally right in the sense that it's no longer the case with consoles anymore that you can simply just pop in the disc and go. Which, which really was a, a huge selling point for consoles for a lot of years. And do you think that affects its popularity, or do you think people don't really get that far into the decision-making process before they realize this kind of stuff? 
I, I, th I think it's, I think it's a lot of that. I don't, I don't think people, when they buy these new consoles, maybe even are aware of it. Uh, but then I think even for a lot of people who are, you know, it's been this way on the PC for a really long time. You, downloading patches is a, is a, has always been a thing for PC gaming, you know, and, and both games and patches have gotten larger in size over the years. So that's kind of become a thing. And, you know, PC gaming's actually sort of gone through a resurgence, thanks in large part to Steam. So more and more people now are playing games on both the PC and console. So I think some of the trends and sort of habits of PC gaming are still fresh in a lot of people's heads. So that I think that also sort of goes a long way to dampening sort of some of the downside that people would have otherwise felt about having to go through installs and patches and stuff on consoles so i've got a follow-up question on that uh whatever happened to the steam box or is that a, a thing i just made up they were making <laughs> their own console right or like their own pc baseline system or something like that yeah they so valve who you know makes steam was was kind of coming out with with a steam box that was sort of one of the original ideas but it, it sort of evolved more into just becoming sort of like a spec so they've they've basically made some high level hardware recommendations for what a steam box should be and then they've kind of let other manufacturers go out and sort of make their own but they haven't really I mean they haven't really taken off just because they're they're just not a very cost effective way to to do PC gaming you can build your own your own tower for significantly less and get a lot more power for that price. Steam OS is 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 the more interesting part about that. That was the other big thing with with the Steam Box was that it would run Steam OS, which was sort of this like Linux based platform that was almost like the the Chrome OS of Chrome, where it was you know just the browser on top of an OS, and this was going to be Steam on top of the OS. Um, and, you know, the, I think what everybody's kind of waiting for, like one of the popular theories has been, you know, people have been waiting for this uh, Half-Life 3 game forever, the sequel to Half-Life 2. And there's there's been some some thought that, well, maybe what Valve will do is they'll make it a uh, like Steam OS exclusive. And the kind of the rationale behind that is Half-Life 2 was sort of the thing that got Steam going. It, you you basically you had to activate it through Steam, whether you downloaded it digitally or bought a disc. And so it was sort of the thing that got everybody to install Steam on their computer. So people think that they might try to do something similar with Steam OS, but so far nothing like that's happened. So if Steam OS runs on Linux, what does it use for graphics? Like, isn't PC gaming heavily dependent on uh, Microsoft's DirectX thing, or is that not a thing anymore? It is. Um, that I don't. To be actually, to be honest, I don't know. I don't know if it's. I don't. Know, is OpenGL? Is that? Was that run on Linux? I don't know. I know this is big OS. Uh, OS ten one. I it it might also run on Linux. Gotcha. No, I'm not. Uh, I'm not as plugged into that part of it. Okay. Hmm. I think it's about all I have to say on that. Okay, cool. Uh, how long is it going to be before I can pick up a uh, 249 uh, Xbox One? <laughs> At this rate, not long. All right, so next spring? It's, um, maybe. It's it's pretty remarkable. I mean, you know, this, this happens 
every time these consoles come out. So it's I don't don't really have any like particular regrets over this. But you know, when I bought the Xbox One at launch, almost exactly a year ago to the day, it was four ninety nine, no games. Did come with Connect, of course, but like I never use Connect. And now here we are a year later. You can get one for three forty nine without a Connect, which is not a not a bad thing to not have. And you get a recently released game. There's a couple different bundles. There's like a Call of Duty bundle. There's an Assassin's Creed bundle. There's a Sunset Overdrive bundle. I think we've talked about this on the show. Um, and those are all three forty nine. So for one hundred and fifty dollars less, you get the same console with a game that you actually want to play. That's 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 pretty dramatic for one year. But I don't. You won't be going out and getting an Xbox One, I suspect. If it hits two forty nine, perhaps. Hmm. Yeah. But by then, uh, there'll be Mario Kart for iOS, so good <laughs> enough for me. Well, that is the other big gaming news that that happened is uh, Super Smash Brothers came out for the the Wii U. Oh, this, did it this weekend? Yeah. Have you played it yet? I have. Have you exchanged some ten digit friend codes? <laughs> so you only have to do that still on the. Wait, three... you just said still. Did yeah, really? Well, yeah, on the 3DS you have to. Oh, okay. But on the Wii U, you actually have like a, a a gamer tag equivalent basically. It's like your Nintendo network ID or something. And um yeah, it it's it's pretty it's pretty great. So, I don't know you I don't think you listen to ATP, but um so Syracuse keeps going on a thing about uh Nintendo's current generation gaming controllers being terrible. Is the current Wii U controller appropriate for Smash Brothers, or is it still greatly inferior to the GameCube? Or are you not that serious where you don't know? I I'm not that serious where I, I so I don't I don't really know personally. Like, well, I mean, the really the, the Wii U's current controller is is just the Wii controller. I mean, yeah, there's the thing with the screen in it, but you don't you don't really ever use that for anything. But that was um, the whole thing about the console. It is that, and then it's more <laughs> like 720p, sort of. No, the actually the graphics the graphics on Wii U games, first party Wii U games are are pretty stunning. Mario Kart looks fantastic. Super Smash Brothers looks awesome. Um, so the actually being in HD does make a difference. But no, the 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 game pad with the screen in it's a total gimmick. <laughs> except except it's like an advertising platform in your living room, basically. Unless you have it in a cabinet like I do. Investa. <laughs> right. Exactly. Man, month of November is almost over. I gotta buy more Vesta. You do. Um, but yeah, no, it it does speak volumes to, to Syracuse's point that as part of the release of Smash Brothers, Nintendo came out with official USB GameCube adapters that you can plug into your Wii U, so that you can use GameCube controllers to play Super Smash. Um, and not only did they come out with these, but I just read a story a couple days ago that they're completely sold out everywhere and that then they retail for like 20 or $30 and they've been selling on eBay for like over $100. It's, it's crazy. Uh, That's not, that, does, that, that, that does seem like a huge problem right? is when people are clamoring for your three-generation-old or I guess two-generation-old controller. That, that seems like a problem. Well, that's always been a thing with game consoles, right? Like, I mean, the original Xbox, I believe, had one, like, a really, really bad controller in the sense that it was just, like, really, like, 
it was Aldi en- and like it was just enormous. Is, yeah. And the 360 was actually a fantastic controller. It was very, very ergonomic and felt nice. And then Sony kind of just keeps sticking with their uh, the DualShock thing. And it's pretty much unchanged since its original version, right? Except now it's Bluetooth and it has that weird like drawing pad thing on it. No, the, the DualShocks have gotten pretty significantly better each generation. I mean, the this, this, this shape is generally the same, but... And the button layout is the same, right? It is. Like, I assume the controls get slightly more accurate, but, like, Nintendo uh, tries to redesign the wheel every single game console generation. Kind of. Like, the N64 I, yeah. to um, GameCube to Wii, like, it's it's not even close. You're right. I mean, I think what's broken that trend is the Wii to the Wii U, because really for nine out of ten things you just use a Wii controller um but i i see your point you're right i mean to be fair the gamecube thing the they can the adapter they came out with is specifically for smash it's not you can't use the gamecube controller for any other game so it's not like a broad acknowledgement that well the gamecube controller still is better than anything else that we have so we got to make an adapter for our current generation console it's I know people. The people who are deeper into Smash get real get real weird about their controllers and and the like. That game has a really really established subculture around it, right? It, it does. Yeah. Like there are a lot of people who still like buy and sell used GameCubes just for that game. That's right. Yeah. GameCube came out what like ten years ago. Yeah, it's about yeah, it's about right. Goodness. You don't own one, do you? A GameCube? Yeah. No, I actually I never did. Uh-huh. and yeah. that was the one that had like it, the equivalent of like mini cds right it did yeah oh goodness it did <sighs> but no, the 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 new the new smash is um it's very fun and, and is just fine with uh Wii controller i think cool has an eight player mode too which is pretty fun on a single television set or over the internet yeah single television set how on earth does that work it's it actually works pretty well. I mean, uh, I forgot. Are we controllers Bluetooth, or how do they pair, or what's what's that whole deal? I mean, that's a good question. I don't. I, I guess the underlying technology is Bluetooth. Um, it actually is. It is really weird how that works because I, I, I actually I've been been meaning to look into this, but we we noticed this because we we tried the eight person mode when I played it at a friend's house on Friday. Um, where it seemed like we had to be in the eight-person mode in the game in order to connect any more than four controllers, and if we if we left the eight-person mode even within the you know the game, the additional controllers, whichever controllers were on top of the original four connected, would drop off. So I don't know if they're doing some kind of weird hackery to to make that work. And we we actually did have some trouble with controllers like dropping off and stuff. So it, it is kind of a I guess kind of a hacky thing maybe. Video but games, it's pretty pretty fun. I'm sure it is. Hmm. All right. Well, this has been it's been a lot of a lot of me talking so far. I got nothing. This is this is great. <laughs> Again, video games are something I enjoy hearing about. I have no real active interest in, but I enjoy hearing about. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about Uber? Oh, God. Um, okay. It's positive stuff this week, sort of. <laughs> I'll, I'll believe it when I hear it. Um, so, no, they're, they're... Well, it's not all positive, but it's fine. Well, 
So they're doing, uh, I think last year they did it as well. They teamed up with a couple of charities and this year they're doing it with Goodwill where you can request a free Uber Goodwill pickup, which is pretty cool this year. Oh, that does seem pretty cool. Yeah. So tomorrow, if you open up your app and you've got some stuff to donate um, and you bag it up nicely, um, you just uh, open the app, uh, slide your uh, little thing over to give, and then somebody uh, comes up and uh, picks up all your stuff. Hmm. That's great. And it's happening in uh, Boston, New York, and San Francisco. This is uh, this, and this is just clothing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't think they're gonna like haul furniture away. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, that, that's a very, very nice thing, and and that speaks to the whole Uber does a lot of things, and it's not a one or two person company, which I think whenever it gets negative media attention, is tough to keep in perspective, especially for me, somebody who's not. Um, an Uber lover. I could have, I could have sworn somebody made that point on the show last week. No, uh, no, I think I made that point. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, whenever it comes out, I'll, I'll, I'll listen and I'll let you know. Okay. But I, I think I, I noticed that saying that there was a ton of interesting engineering and other positive things happening, and I said it was ruined by the actions of a couple of people. Yeah. So we both, I'm, I'm doing we, it both ways. We both definitely do agree on that part of it where it seems, it just seems like, man, like if, if Uber could even just have gotten away from having half of the negative stuff come out that they've had over the last year, think about what just a crazy powerful company they would be between. Well, here's the thing. They the are awesome service. They are well, a crazy are. powerful company. There's a disliked crazy powerful company. But I mean, like, just think about what a dominant position to be in where you have you've got this awesome service that everybody loves and on top of that you do a lot of this great charitable work as well like they just that would be almost like an unstoppable force that nobody could ever say anything negative about and it's just kind of a shame they're i don't think they I mean they haven't thrown that all away obviously but just even the fact that they're distracting from that just seems like such a shame yeah they seem to pick their best like are they i don't know the company it's weird, not even in so much uh, insofar as they have all these like weird controversies where they are genuinely doing something wrong, like the Washington D.C. arguing against disability requirements and un a lot of like awful things. Like they just put their what was the one from a couple of weeks ago where they they made the blog post uh, the one about the teachers, where they said uh, Uber is helping fund education in America because they give an easy second job for teachers. Just stuff like that where it seems like they're just trying to make their lives harder. I don't I don't get it. Yeah. Stuff like that. And then follow up on last week's stuff. So it looks like um there's been more people who were at that um event where the allegations or the the rumors of um the company setting aside a budget to do opposition journalism on uh reporters they don't like. Uh it seems as though this was more a conversation in passing with somebody else rather than like a topic of discussion and a sincere concrete plan so while it is an incredibly stupid thing to say and the fact that it's on that person's mind is telling i don't know i, I it seems to be less of a big deal as one may have thought hmm. yeah so I'm slightly scaling back what I said uh, last week. Not not very much, but a little bit. 
And also, and here's the thing, the journalist who uh, apparently was stated to be the primary target is also just an insufferable person, which which makes it a lot easier to uh, let this go. That's well, all. I'll, I'll take any little bit of positive vibes from you in regards to Uber. <laughs> the Cactus Society is getting slightly less prickly this week. <laughs> Don't worry, they're they're gonna they're gonna fix it next week. They're they're gonna well, they're gonna sure. they're gonna run over turkeys. They're gonna they're gonna <laughs> they're, uh, something. They're gonna do something with Santa. It's fine. Uh, um, you got anything else? I, I've got I've got one more story. I I hesitate to bring this up, but Why I feel that? like I feel like we should. Why is that? We'll go we'll go for it. The panda. Oh, okay. So we do have two, or we got at least one left. Go for it. What happened? So we, we we speculated about this on the show a couple weeks ago after we were um, you know talking about the Giants World Series victory and sort of what was next for the team. We talked about some of the key free agents, and by far and away the biggest one was Pablo Sandoval. Um, and we, you know, kind of kind of knew it was a possibility that he would go sign somewhere else. And today, that's officially what happened. He signed with the the Boston Red Sox. Uh, very very large boo. contract. Yes, boo indeed. Uh, five years, ninety something million dollars. Um, as as I texted you uh, earlier today, he he pulled a Cody Ross. Well, d- no, it's different. Just because Cody Ross took a downgrade, he went to the he went to the Diamondbacks, and he had a, he had like a very mediocre season. Well, he did. I guess, yeah. He guess he didn't go direct. He ended up on the Red Sox, but I guess he maybe he didn't go directly to the Red Sox from San. Oh, Francisco. wait. When did he get traded? Um. Well, it was after he left the Giants right after the 2010 series. Like I could have sworn up until like the middle of the season he was playing for the Diamondbacks. Um. Are you talking about this most recent season? Yeah. Well, he he was um he was on the Red Sox previous to that. Um. Yeah, looking uh looking this up. No, he um yeah, he he went um he went directly from the the Giants to Boston. Then he went to Arizona. And he oh, actually okay, to be fair, gotcha. he he was with the team the year. He was he was with them in 2011, but then he went to Boston in 2012. Gotcha. Yeah, so do, do you know what happened? Or, I mean, do you, no, you you weren't negotiating with him. But <laughs> I wasn't. No, I wasn't. So, wasn't so, involved with this in negotiation. So, what are your feelings on this? Because, to my knowledge, is so the Giants' best offer was ninety-five million over ten years, or what was it? Uh, something, something like that. Yeah. And then uh, the the Red Sox offer was a hundred million over ten years. No, the contract's not that long. I think it's only like five years. Oh wow! Really? Okay. Yeah. So. Like a lot, a lot of the consensus seems to be that he just wants to do something different. Not that he has any ill will for the Giants, but that he just doesn't really care to be a Giant anymore. Yeah, it doesn't really sound like the money was a whole lot different. Um, it could just, yeah, it could just be a simple change of scenery. Um, do do you give any credence to the um to the rumors that he felt disrespected this last season? Uh, no, I think that's possible. I don't think I don't think there's any doubt that um, there was a lot of noise, uh, particularly about his weight, over the last couple of years. Eh, who cares? You know that 
The reality too, though, with, with baseball players in particular, and I mean, this is crazy to say, it, it, I still think it's weird whenever I hear this, but I mean, statistics are statistics. It's the same, it's the same in football and in basketball too. Once you get into your late twenties, you, you just, you just generally aren't as productive. I mean, there are, there are the obvious exceptions to that, but for the most part, by and large, you know, your, your prime is young to mid twenties, maybe in your kind of the earlier part of your late twenties, if you're lucky and he's 28. So, you know, giving a big contract to a guy who particularly in those last couple of years of that contract is going to be in their young thirties, maybe doesn't make a lot of sense. And I think we, I don't want to like make him sound like he's just like, like a machine, but I think we probably got his best years out of him. And that's, yeah, that's been some of the commentary that's come out. And yeah, I, I think it's, I, I, I don't think it's quite fair to, to say that, you know. But it, I mean that been, in a positive way in the sense right. that he, I mean, he did a lot of, a, a lot of great work for the Giants. He won three World Series rings. He uh, made some spectacular achievements. And I think we got a lot of really good stuff with him. And I think he had a good, a lot of cohesiveness with the team that allowed him to be such a integral part in their success so i think in terms of his successfulness in a team setting that's that's kind of what i'm saying yeah and i think you know the the really big thing with him is just how great he's been in the postseason Mm -hmm. which is something that it's just it's unbelievable how common it is for even the biggest of big players to just completely struggle in the postseason it's a super common thing, and he he's the exact opposite of that. Yeah. So you know we'll miss him. I, he was he had a great great run with the Giants. Um, to be perfectly honest, though, I'm I mean I'm not I'm not like I'm angry at him or anything. Not at all. Um, I think he I think he probably made a pretty tough decision. Um, I I particularly given that you know like the money all seems to be kind of in line. Like it it seems like whatever decision he made was was probably for the right reasons for him. Um, and yeah, I, I think in the long run, I think over the next, well, five years of, of that contract, I, I think it's probably best for the giants to have, to let him go. Cause I don't, I don't think paying, I don't think paying him $20 million a season, like four years from now is necessarily what's going to be best for the giants. Isn't that the trouble that we got into with Linscombe? Like, isn't, doesn't he have an ex- insanely expensive contract when he really hasn't been delivering in the most recent years him him to an extent but the 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 one that really hurt them uh was zito barry zito he they signed him for a massive contract and that con i mean he outside of saving the team in that 2012 series against the cardinals that that was really the one and only positive thing he did and that that was a big thing but um, and he came from the a's that's right okay but outside of that i mean that, that contract was a disaster so it happens. It, it it totally happens. It happens, gosh, happens all the time in baseball. I mean, yeah. Sometimes you get a Kobe. Sometimes you get a Albert Pujols. Hmm. Uh, on on the Angels. Oh yeah, that's been a disaster. Wait, say it again. Albert Pujols. When did he start playing for them? Uh, in 2011. I am way behind. Yes. I could have sworn he was still on the Cardinals in the 2012 season. <laughs> they, yeah, they signed him to a 10-year, 200, I don't know, $270 million contract, something like that. 
stupendous. Does he so he makes a lot more than Trout? <laughs> oh yeah. And he's delivering far less than him. Yes. Good times. Yeah. Okay. So you know, best of luck to Pablo. Um, I don't. I, mean, I don't like the Red Sox, so can't say I'm going to be rooting for him. But that's you know, that's not a reflection on him personally. That's just the uh, allegiances that I have for the teams that I follow. And also, just East Coast baseball, not having it. <laughs> Again, the the Red Sox aren't just aren't a terribly good team, and I I don't like the baseball town. The Yankees aren't what they used to be, and I don't know. I, I'm I'm a West Coast baseball guy, and it upsets me whenever you hear a lot of East Coast commentators that don't give um, uh, the Western Division teams uh, their their due. Yeah, you know, I've yeah, I've, I've, I by and large I just kind of ignore it because I I don't really care. But I just think it's I think it's very surprising. There's been a lot of commentary that's come out about how well, oh well, you know, the Giants three World Series in five years. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good, but it's not a dynasty or blah blah blah. It's kind of fluky. I just kind of I'm just like, wait, what? Like, like I mean, the like the 1999 to 2000 like four. What were the the like the amazing stretch that uh, the Yankees had? A little earlier, I think it was from like ninety ninety six through oh one or oh two. Yeah, they won like five out of six or something like that. I mean that that was a, a fantastic team under great management, but that I I don't think that means that New England baseball is the be all and end all, and I think that is what a lot of sports writers will try to portray when that hasn't been true in a very long time. Right. And I, you know what? And I think that's, that's the exact point where I, I give full credit to that. I think that's, that's an, an absolute, that's an absolutely incredible run. Uh, and I wouldn't take anything away from that. And I think the Giants run was also unbelievable. Exactly. So, oh, well, I, I don't care. I'll, I'll happily, I'll happily take three world series in five years. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. And Good hey, time to move up to the Bay area. Ah, oh, yeah. Great time. We moved. We moved up here the last week of the regular season in 2010. I very distinctly remember watching that final series with the Padres, where they got into the playoffs, and then went on that crazy run. Pretty good. Pretty good. But thinking about getting a uh, a poster from the end of Game Seven with um, Bumgarner and Posey. Where would you put it? I don't know. That's why I haven't really thought. I haven't really don't really know. Because again, I don't want to get too personal. But like, but as an adult, that stuff's tough. Like unless you like when you have a house. Like if you ever want to make like a game room or a sports room or like a place where you have like your TV and stuff. But in a studio apartment, it's like having having sports posters up. That's that's tough. I'm I'm looking at a Kobe poster right now. <laughs> Hanging above your bed. No, no, it, it's across the room. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't make it don't make it weird that's <laughs> yeah, too too late for that i guess <laughs> is it next to uh do you have little pencil markings for how tall you are <laughs> sorry <laughs> i'm very sorry <laughs> oh what what has happened to the show <laughs> all right uh are we at like an hour and we're we're at almost exactly a little over an hour yeah all right let's wrap this up make it easier to edit oh yeah okay